0: Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, greetings, everyone. It is so good to be back with you for the uh, Leaders Alliance podcast. And uh, we have a special guest today that I'm going to be introducing in just a few minutes, uh, J.T. Monarchik. But uh, prior to that time, I just want to give a little bit of introduction about what we're doing here, what this is all about. My wife, Diane, is not joining me today because she's on a a trip to see a friend who's uh, had some recent surgery. But anyway, I want to talk a little bit about Leaders Alliance as we get rolling Uh, Leaders Alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders coming together because we see the urgency of the moment. We believe that, you know, the church is supposed to be the primary influencer of culture, that we are to be the salt and the light that Jesus promised, that each one of us as individuals is supposed to be a priest and king unto our God, influencing the different spheres of society. But unfortunately, the church has kind of lost its voice over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And so we believe that it's time for the church to up its leadership game. We believe that it's time for the leadership level of every single believer to rise so that we can be the influencers. And that's a product of understanding who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, and understanding the authority that God has given us to actually be the influencers, to carry this ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world in a way that produces great outcome. And so part of that is we want to welcome you to visit our website at leadersalliance.org. We have some free training up there that we'd love to give you and get a taste of where we're going with with our emphasis on raising the leader level. We also are coming out in just a few short weeks with a a leadership masterclass that is going to be incredible. It's a foundations course, and we're in the process right now of recording an advanced course that we believe is going to bless your socks off in terms of how you lead in any area of leadership, whether you're leading in the church, whether you're leading in your home, whether you're leading in the marketplace somewhere as a business person or an educator or somebody working in a hospital. In other words, the training that we're going to give you is able to be applied in so many different areas, and we believe it's going to help you to become the leader that God's called you to be, so you can actually participate and partner with Jesus to see your world transformed for Christ. So anyway, it's super exciting, but as we get started today, again, as I mentioned, we have a a good friend of mine coming on, JT Monarchek. JT is both a, a church minister, but also a marketplace leader. He's been in both worlds, and he's going to share his story in just a minute. But what I want to say is he's also the catalyst leader for our Marketplace Catalyst Group. We have some amazing people, both advisors coming in who are high-level Marketplace leaders speaking in. But we also have some amazing uh, uh, organizers that are actually working with this group to produce, um, I believe, a, a, a change within the Marketplace understanding of the body of Christ so that we can actually bless the whole world by blessing business people and marketplace leaders around the world. So JT, why don't you come on and uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to just share your story, kind of get us started here. And then we're going to just ask a bunch of questions about leadership, about your particular emphasis and how that goes. So take it away, JT.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm a northern Michigan boy by trade. I now live down in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I was raised a son of an entrepreneur. Uh, He was a psychologist, but also did consulting. And so I grew up and then we, you know, built a bed and breakfast and I was the original, you know, innkeeper, lawnmower and cook. You know, when you small family business, you do a little bit of everything. And so I was tired of the Michigan winters, So I said, I want to go down south to go to school. Actually, I said University of Hawaii and they said no. So (laughs) then I would went down South Carolina and my parents or my, uh, said, you know, don't talk about religion and politics when you went down there. I was raised with faith, but not necessarily relating it to Bible, biblical morals without the Bible. Right. And so I went down south uh, to college and worked on my testimony for a couple of years and then met Jesus. And that changed my life. But I was also a disciple by someone that was not open to the charismatic move of God. So, I, so there was a whole probably epoch of my faith that I was with the Lord. Saved, but didn't realize that Jesus still showed up and operated in the way that we've seen him move, you know, with signs, wonders, and miracles. And that all changed in 2008 when I was introduced to Catch the Fire. Uh, And it revolutionized my life. At that time, I had had an MBA, a law degree. I primarily defended doctors and malpractice lawsuits and uh, had been a financial planner before then, and it revolutionized my life. It, it introduced me to the Heavenly Father to a way that I didn't experience it before. And I remember, the, you know, the first person you're praying for, it's a bellyache, and that changes, and you're like, well, you could totally lie to me, right? But then, you know, it progresses to, you know, your first mission trip, and you're in Niger, Africa, and, it, you know, it was me, a doctor that didn't believe in miracles, a Starbucks barista, and one pastor that had believed. And, uh, you know, during that trip, 10 blind eyes or partially blind eyes were open. Wow. And so I came back and I was still in the marketplace and people sewed in and they knew me from the courtroom. They knew me uh, from, you know, secular society. And so it, it kind of challenged some of them thing. And I'm like, I don't know how it works. I just know that you walked in on a cane in the middle of Africa well they don't have canes, but you know what I mean? With helping come in. And and so it kind of changed. And, you know, I have. um gave up uh, I'm general counsel now for cast fire world the global organization I've had different roles I've led the outreach arm here and but now primarily focusing on the world organization because there is ministry but there's business you to have you can't have either tail wag either dog like if you don't pay the power bill your meeting's not going to be so great right but you need the presence to show up and that you don't hammer you know and so it's this tension between both and so I'm more in the, the global operation and I I do uh, on my side I work with a family business my dad's company we do uh, he 's got half of his business as therapists and half is it business consulting, and our niche really is family succession planning family businesses that go from the hard charging leader uh, then to the kids and then the third generation that they call it the cousin consortium and that 's two to four percent financial success like it doesn 't usually work. So if we can come in early in the process and help succession planning, we can help build legacy we can help build transformation of wealth we can then sow into the leaders that we help change their lives that then change their employees' lives. And so we bring Jesus into the boardroom. They just don't know that we bring Jesus into the boardroom. Now, if they ask, we'll tell them. But it's, it's praying without ceasing behind the scenes and understanding that, you know, you can use the mind of Christ to find a solution to otherwise challenging situations. Um, and so that's a little bit about, you know, where I came from. I got saved when I was in college. And then it's been a progression of learning of who I am in Christ, which is more fully than I realized in 2000 and. Oh gosh. No, 1997. Sorry. Wow. I, I try to take a decade off my life.
0: So amazing. Well, um, I mean, obviously you, you spin a lot of plates. You juggle a lot of balls. You, you, you know, have a ministry side to you. You also have this sort of professional marketplace side of you where you're a consultant. How do you balance right now? You know, how do you keep all those plates spinning and not, not drop a few plates?
1: Uh, I'm I, that's a good question. Cause I feel like right now, uh, there may be some plates that are teetering. And so, uh-huh. you know, that, that sort of keeps me up at night. Um, for me, I have to remember what audience I'm in and who I'm ministering to, whether that's corporately or, or uh, in the ministry side. Because, you know, even in the charismatic world, we have our people that we know, right? In our world, if we said Bill or Heidi or Georgian or whatever, even if I'm ministering in another stream, they wouldn't understand that. So it's understanding your audience. Right. Uh, and so like in the right. corporate world, when when colorful language happens, you don't correct them. You just roll with it because we do a lot in the construction industry. And, and that's OK. Right. Jesus said, go into the world. And so we're in the world. And it's it's um, it's OK, because that's not my role there. I, mm-hmm. I can corporately help them. And if they ask about our faith, that's fine, and we'll tell them about it. We're not ashamed of it, but we don't lead with the faith in the business side because we have uh, all kinds of different diverse areas. So to me, Michael, it's kind of figuring out which audience I'm in and remembering that Jesus is still there. It's just the words that I use uh, in that meeting.
0: That's so good. Now talk a little bit about, you know, we've been walking together pretty closely for about a year, really dreaming about Leaders Alliance and how it could really impact the world around us. Talk about your personal vision for it, your role as uh, kind of directing the marketplace emphasis right now, but also the bigger picture. Like, what do you see? What do you what do you feel like the, the possibilities are for us?
1: Yeah. Now, I, I have my personal theosophy and then I have what, well, you know, Michael and I have worked together with uh, my, uh, John Bootsman, others. There's many, many t- members of the team that have come together. It's not been in isolation. But what I really think is I want to make Christianity relevant. I want to make faith Relevant, and I think this is my personal theosophy. This is not necessarily Michael's, but I think that for the long period of time, the church globally has pointed and said, Do this, do that, as opposed to revealed who they are and showed Jesus. And so, to do that, we need to grow our leadership capacity because the world wants to see strong Christians not strong in the sense of this, but like that they want to get behind. Can we have more brave heart Christians that are willing to go counterculture? And some of that is growing their leadership capacity. You know, I think this is an overgeneralization. We sat in our, you know, especially in the more charismatic movements, you're just sitting there, oh, Jesus, this is amazing, this is amazing. But when does amazing then go out in the street? Yeah. Right, you know, and, and so can we take what Jesus is amazing, what has he done for us, but also practically speaking, we need certain things in our lives that help grow. That's why self-help books, that's why people go to training, that's why, is that where can we take leadership principles into the marketplace. And I think that we have an opportunity now to be a solution to the world that adds value. Uh, When we were working with a prison ministry, uh, overtly Christian, in-your-face Christian, And they they would go in and they worked with um, really 22 year locked up guys life. And they went in and realized that it was a fatherlessness issue. So they would come Mm. in, wash the kids feet. say don't walk in the way that I've walked. Give them new shoes. They guaranteed a scholarship. And what happened is recidivism went from 74 to 4 percent in in two South Carolina prisons. And they closed them and turned them into call centers. So the government started asking, I don't care if it's Jesus, it works. Yes. So if we as believers can bring a solution, they'll be like, that's fine, bring your faith in. But I think to do that, we have to grow our leadership lid to have the capacity for the next wave.
0: That's so, so good. You know, you used a, a word, theosophy, which again, you know, obviously we're not referring to the theophysical society, but we're, we're referring to the relationship between our theology and our philosophy of life, our philosophy of leadership. And both those things, see, I, I operate in the, the framework that all truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. And so if something is true in heaven, it's going to be true on earth, even if we don't ascribe biblical reference points to that truth. And that's really a lot of what I've learned from you is that you've actually carried that sense of, of uh, clarity because you're both, you know, um, I think a theological student, you're also have thought deeply about why you do what you do the way you do it, which is philosophy. And then you've also have a real strong pragmatic side. Talk about how you integrate those things together in terms of producing outcome in your world.
1: It's interesting. Like I find just as much pleasure of ministering, emceeing, preaching on stage as I do an Excel spreadsheet. I find pleasure because I'm doing what the Lord has asked me to do. And so for me, um, some people think I have ADHD, I've never been tested, so it can't be confirmed nor denied. (laughs) And so for me, it's it's been able to flip back and forth. And so like, I'd be up on stage, you know, and I may be ministering or helping get a speaker out or whatever's going on, and then immediately walk off stage. And then you got to make a decision because of security situation, or we got to make a budget call. And so it's, it's, it's staying in the presence, but still being present, you can be in his presence, but still present. And so it's been able to flip back and forth. And, you know, like in my world right now, it's Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. So I may be, you know, shikabunguing or whatever. And then that call hangs up. And now I'm in the board reading of a hundred million dollar company. And if I come in shikabungu, right, they're, they're going to be like, are you drunk or high? Right. <laughs> so it's learning to still be in the presence, but it may not right. manifest in the same way. And being right. able to live in both worlds and honoring both worlds. They're, they're, right. they're both practical. Like, like, like Jesus was around business people that helped fulfill his ministry. They did things to bring money so that they could travel. So he's not saying that the marketplace is not valid. It's just learning to operate in both streams and understanding where you need to be going at that time and be able to make that, that switch.
0: Right. Well, we all, you know, talk a, a lot about the idea of integrating the supernatural and the super practical Like we really want to, and I think probably your area of oversight is even more important for that because so much of the manifestation of the kingdom in the marketplace will not be uh, like a normal church service where we're (laughs) raising our hands and singing. And, you know, I mean, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That's what the Bible says. And so even though you might feel the goose pimples of the presence of God on your body. Um, actually, when you're in that boardroom situation, you've got you've to relate through a whole different lens. So talk about that a little bit, because obviously you're, you're dealing with some high-powered people around the world. You know, we have our advisors. We have like Mike Frank and a few others, Garth Jessley, and a few others that are speaking into what we're doing from having been at the highest ranks of, of uh, marketplace leadership, but they're also passionate kingdom people. So talk about your relationship in the marketplace, how it influences your ability to lead marketplace leaders.
1: Well, you have to kind of understand your audience. Like we have a lot of doctors that are friends that bring in the supernatural, but they still perform surgery, right? right. It's not, I, think, I think Paul Manwaring said medicine is not a second-class healing. So you can yeah. pray for wisdom. You can pray for discernment in the operation, right? And so, you know, sometimes when you pray you get healed sometimes or when you minister, right? It doesn't say prices right. minister, but, um, and so that's the same way in the boardroom. And I, I think Michael, I shared this story. We had a very successful construction company and the dad is your classic CEO, hard charging. Um, when he gets upset, you know it and it's worked for 40 years yeah. yelling, has worked right. And he's become, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he, he's doing okay. Taking over the company, are five daughters, three of them are, are lawyers, oh wow so so and and their org chart is typical entrepreneur it's just all over the place, and so we were in one of these planning meetings, and it got a bit family heated. Families argue right, and at one point, I can't say it online, but let's just say it was a very aggressive uh comment from one <laughs> sister to the other and um and you could see it in the dad's eyes like this is never going to work, wow. so we took a break, and uh, my dad and I were on the call, uh, and he just was praying. we later debriefed and he's like how are we going to do this? And he prayed and the Lord gave him and he said, appreciation. So we came back into this non-faith based family. Um, And I think they're agnostic. Doesn't matter. They're not, they're not faith based. And, um, and so he said, you know, that got a little heated. Let's change things around a little bit. What we want to do is all six of you go around the room and every person is going to tell the other one what they appreciate about them. By the end of that call or that zoom, everyone was teary eyed, including probably the consultants and the dad saw that there was hope for the future. So Jesus was in the boardroom. They just didn't know Jesus was in the boardroom because he gave us the solution of how to shift that meeting and probably save successful generations of that company because the dad saw it, that there is hope.
0: Wow, that's such an amazing story. Um, Let's drill down into this idea of succession a little bit more because um, obviously you're dealing with it in a secular, quote-unquote, business world. But I think it's also a big issue in the church world. You know, we have a lot of movement leaders who are growing older right now. Um, You know, obviously, the the main leaders of Church Catch the Fire, uh, John and Carol Arnott, are, you know, John's in his 80s now. And yet he's also been wise enough to begin that succession process well before he needs it. In other words, while he still has a few years to be able to shepherd the process through that new leader, which is Duncan and Kate Smith. Um, talk about how you see succession working, where you see it challenged and not working as well. You know, what are you learning from both sides of the equation, the church side and the marketplace side?
1: That's fascinating. And this isn't meant to be a plug, but we're actually being asked now by certain Christian organizations to say what you do in your hundred million dollar companies. Can you come and help us here? So, because we're seeing that, you know, um, if you look at the classic, not non-de, more of the non-denominational ministries that were built around a charismatic or energetic, male or female, right? And then it grows, and then at some point, they don't raise up a successor, and God is a generational God, right? Abraham, Isaac, you know, and he, he is that. And so it's looking at it. If you think of what CFAN did with Daniel Kalinda, and, you know, mm. if a few years, every time they're on stage, this is my successor, this is my successor. And there are yeah. very few that have successfully done it well. And um, Well, I let's think- slow
0: down there for just a minute because we can't assume that everybody knows what CFAN is. It's Christ for All Nations. And the main director of that initially was uh, Reinhard Bonnke. Incredible. Probably even above uh, uh, Billy Graham, probably spoke to the most people on the face of the earth with literally hundreds of thousands of people in gatherings in, uh, in millions. Africa. Yeah. Millions. And so talk a little bit about, you know, just a little bit more detail so that if you're not familiar, yeah. people Thank can get you. it. So yeah.
1: Reinhard Barkey was this German that just absolutely loved the Lord and went to Africa and started having these major crusades and we're talking. I've got pictures over in, in, in one of our nonprofits that like 1.2 two million people. And the last I heard, it was something like 72 to 77 million decisions for Christ. And um, they have shifted, and they came. To the United States to start doing some stuff here in the United States. Uh, this has been a few years back, and this is an amazing story. Daniel Kalinda, who is just a firebrand evangelist, you see some pictures in the history that I think he started like in the mailroom. You see a picture yeah. of him in the mailroom. He's this young guy, and so he was there. And just I I don't know all of the story. I know that he went to the Brownsville School with um, um,
0: Steve Hill and those guys. Hill, yeah,
1: down in Brownsville, Florida. Right. And, um, I was, cool uh, Michael Koulianis. They were in the same class. Yeah. Who's Michael Koulianis. Okay. Yeah. They Maybe. were in the same class. And, and so it just happened that it, he started and you could see the, the, I went to the crusade here in the States and it was amazing. They did your classic crusade. Like if you need to meet Jesus, you meet Jesus and then they go out and some of them may not, that, that may be the first time rededication. And then they baptized the entire rest of the stadium in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Which was wild. Yeah and different, but they were bringing a counterculture. And so what they did is over a period of time, you know, Reinhard knew that his season on this earth was going to come to an end and they looked at it as a way in advance in the mm-hmm. secular world, Michael, back in the day, General Motors uh, would require that the dealers, the owners would look to find their successor by the time they're age 55, even wow. though they may work for the next decade. Wow. So when you talk about in most major companies, Bank America, all those, they'll find three, potentials that they'll mentor for five years and see who comes up. So I think we in the Christian world need to work on our business, not just in our business. And so being wise, because I think it's an overlay, you need to have both the it's reverse on here, so I'm trying to figure out which way to go. It's, <laughs> it's, you, need to, you, know, you need to have the anointing, the call of God, but you also have to have the skills. And what I've seen, we use some personality profiles, and so you see a lot of apostolic leaders that form the foundation. And then they mm-hmm. go into maintenance, and they tip down more into pastoral care. And if you've been built apostolically, and now you're led pastorally, do you need to then look for another apostolic infusion to go for what's the next? And so that's what we're looking is to use some of our profile tools that we can figure out what is an apostolic profile, personality wise, Mm. behavior wise, that we can then overlay. Say we don't pick on the anointing. You have to decide that. But of these three candidates, this is where we feel that there's some some overlay of our our our, it's a white paper. But, you know, in that sense of what we could think about where you're going in the next uh, season.
0: I think that's awesome. And that's really what uh, Reinhard Bonnke was able to accomplish because as, as far as, I, I don't know Daniel Kalinda very well, but we've talked a bit and, and he seems to carry the same passion and the same apostolic grace that his mentor actually was carrying. And so they've had a very successful succession, whereas I know some movements have had more difficulty <coughs> And uh, one thing I'm thinking of exactly was, you know, I was part of the Vineyard Movement. And John Wimber was, um, you know, as he was getting, you know, more ill later in life, he actually invited uh, um, uh, Jack Hayford to come and, and speak to us as, as primary leaders over the movement. And he basically asked this question, you know, what, what was succession like in the Foursquare Movement? And uh, actually his, his feedback to us, Jack Hayford's feedback was that it didn't go well. Because Amy McPherson, who was just this incredible dynamic leader, turned over the leadership to her son, and things went poorly for the next 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. The movement submerged because he was more of a very loyal maintainer rather than a builder. And so, again, I'm I'm sure you see that. You you talked about three generations. You said the final one was like the cousin generation. Talk about that a little bit, because that's a pretty typical uh, succession failure in a sense, right? Right
1: absolutely. So, you know, usually I mean, there are dysfunctions in families, but, you know, mom, dad, kids, you have a general understanding of the family dynamics. And yes, you fight and all that, but that's fine. So that's second generation. And so yeah. and, and where you start to see is all of a sudden as it starts to go out, you start to go into the cousins and cousins are different. Right. Think how your 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 nuclear family versus start going out to your cousins, Diane's cousin, you start going out and all of a sudden Billy needs a job. So you bring Billy in to get a job. Billy may yeah. not be the best person for that job. And then but his mom wants to make sure that he becomes a part owner, even though he doesn't really. And so you have this infighting and and then you end up it's really hard to fire a family member. So we work yeah. in some yeah. of these these organizations. So like their, their succession planning is just wait until Uncle Ted dies. And then because <laughs> he's, he's a pain, eventually he'll die and we don't have to deal with Uncle Ted anymore. And right. so th- th- when you start getting to that, it's having real frank and honest conversations, which when we come in as an outside, we come in and do a, a, an organizational assessment. We do digital questions and interviews with people and then get a theme. And then we play it back and we look and you're like, well, you know, Cousin Ted has caused some problems and he's running off customers and he's upsetting this generation. He's, re- you know, do you want to just buy him out? Right. Do you, do you want to just help in this process? And I think that you run into that in Christian world because who doesn't want to do life on mission together? Who doesn't yeah. want to have their family with them? And so it's, sure. it's 2 prong. One, they need the second generation needs to have the skills and the anointing, and it's not based on nepotism. You didn't get there just because – now, it may open the door. It may get you yeah. an opportunity to do some stuff, but I think a, a solid, secure leader may have to come to the decision that my son or daughter may not be the heir apparent, and that's okay. But you got to be secure enough in that, that we're caring about kingdom not my legacy personally. Um, and those are sometimes difficult conversations to have with people.
0: Um, well, what do you see? You know, obviously, it's been about two years uh, since uh, Duncan and Kate, who were on our last podcast, have assumed leadership from John and Harry who were the founders of this movement. And actually, you know, they were laid hands on virtually because of COVID, whatever, a year and a half ago. We finally did the actual laying on of hands this Two weeks ago. Okay. How do you see that (laughs) uh, transition in the light of what you've learned about succession uh, processes?
1: Well, this succession planning, you know, it's it's semi—it's not private. But so Duncan was—he's a police officer. He comes from a family of farmers in England, and they were kind of burnt out. He had done some stadium stuff and was burnt out and then came to Toronto for a blessing. And the Lord said to John— john that's your first executive director that tall englishman that i told you but john didn't say that to this person he just met he hired him as the bookstore manager <laughs> and so so duncan within a very short period of time was the first executive director of cashfire toronto and that would have been in the heyday uh, of the toronto blessing that was going on there were millions of people were visiting and so for three years duncan had to de- deny his call because he's a he's a really a preacher he's an evangelist um, he's a business smart, savvy guy. So for three years, John mentored him and what it meant to run the business side of things. He had a staff, gosh, I can't remember how big it was, but $8 million budget, 270 staff, something like that. Maybe not that big. And so then, you know, Duncan was in, now I'm in Raleigh and this was in Toronto and he was coming back from Bangladesh in 2004 and the Lord said, I want you to start a church here. And he's like, I'm, I'm the number two to John. It's, it's happening up there. Why do you make me a charter church down here, right? So he was faithful to that call. And out of that birthed the, worldwide, what's now Catch the Fire worldwide. At that point, it was Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, and the traveling ministry was Catch the Fire. But that in 08 was the first time we had a Catch the Fire church, which then rebranded that, and then we went through integration with Partners in Harvest and all of that. So it's not like one day Duncan became the president. Duncan has been walking and being mentored by John for 16, 17 years, walking side by side, because John had a couple of sons, not in the spiritual sense, right, that they've walked. And, And as he was processing and praying with the Lord and talking with Carol, it wasn't overnight. They've walked a journey. They used to drive together every day to work because they live close when they are in Toronto. So they've, they've, they've seen and they see the character of the man and, and, and the woman, you know, and Kate. And so it wasn't overnight. It's been a season and a journey. And they didn't – I don't think he knew back in whatever that was that he would eventually rebrand the whole worldwide movement and be this, the, you know, the world leaders. And, and we're seeing that, you know, what would have worked – previously may not work in the future, and so you need to have a fresh eye, but still have that passion, that apostolic thrust, and um, Ed Savoso, many of you know uh, Ed, he's a marketplace guy, he was with us a couple years ago, and, and he was talking about the, the typical ministry is you have this vision, and all of a sudden it just takes off, right, and then it gets big enough that you become a bureaucracy, and you have to manage it. And he was saying what you need to have, and this may be me misquoting him, but have a vision that's bigger than your provision so you're always believing in God, that you don't just sustain a bureaucracy, but you're always believing for the next. And it's not to build your empire, it's to change lives through the kingdom. And so if you just start to go maintenance you're like, eh, but when you have that level of risk and faith, God's like, okay, I can work with that. And so I think that's where we have the vision for what's next. And that's what I think Duncan and Kate have had, but it's not been overnight. It's been 16, 17, 18 years of relationship and being mentored and loved by John and
0: That's a great perspective. And, you know, I actually had the privilege of being in some of those uh, intimate planning meetings when the succession process was being discussed. And just to be able to see it from the inside out and to see what great leaders uh, John and Carol are in terms of their inner security, their sense of being kingdom minded at a true sense and being able to then, you know, empower that next generation, was just so wonderful. Um, also though, you know, I think in the process there, I got to be able to see, um, sort of the history compared to the legacy or the, or the future. You know, it's like, in other words that, you know, one of the things I said to, uh, to Duncan early on, is I just said, Duncan, you know, um, your future has to be bigger than your past or we're just slowing down to a stop. You know, it's like you have to have a bigger future. But the problem is, is that Catch the Fire has had such a ridiculously large past. Millions of people coming. How do you look at a future bigger than that? And of course, there was the prophetic words about, well, we gathered people initially. Now we're scattering. We're we're sending out the blessing to every city and every nation around the world. And I believe that that's the next season. Okay, how do we do that? And I believe that, You know, my personal feeling is just knowing Duncan and Kate that it really is um, something that they're suited for. In other words, I believe that you know he has that sort of apostolic passion; she has that sort of clarity and stability. And as a team, they just bring connection, they bring enthusiasm, they bring focus, they bring strategy. And uh, I just am super happy to be working with them in this coming season. But let's shift gears a little bit. I want to just hear from you a little bit about sort of you know what's been some of the biggest challenges you've had in leadership mm-hmm. maybe one or two that you remember like an experience or a and and what did you learn how did you break through how did you find a pathway to a place of resolution
1: yeah i think for me if you're a task oriented guy that used to build in six minute increments right? As a trial attorney, you just kind of get used to to life like that. And so it was an adjustment for me when I left the practice of law and came into ministry because that's the people business per se. I mean, I was about people, but they wanted to not lose at trial. Like it's a different result, right? And you can, and so when I came in and I was a bit more task oriented, there was this culture clash, you know, and, and I, and when I would get super busy, I was trying to divest. And so I think some of the key mistakes I made is, 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 um, dump rather than develop delegate Mm -hmm. rather than develop is just, this is my list of to do's. You are here to help me get my to do's done as opposed to taking an interest in them. And, And then also one of the, I was the editor in chief of the international law journal. I was getting my law degree and the succession planning you, you, um, you you vote based on the you know the membership, and I had um, I had my head who I had kind of groomed who was going to be the next editor in chief you know after I was and but I trusted my team for the last two years you know I had you know you progress up you know where you you know you're in the team but and and so I've trusted them for at least two years and and then we came to the vote and the bylaws allowed me to vote and then break the tie, and so the team went down to vote. Um, for the other person that i didn't think was and so i could have by the bylaws broken the tie and made that person but i just went away and i just took him and i said guys just send me a few minutes i went and prayed i'm like you've trusted your team the whole year do you feel like that that's can you trust the team in this situation, or is it one of those decisions that you got to make the hard decision because there's times as leaders you sometimes have to make the hard decision and that's okay that's part wow. of leadership there is a self-sacrifice but i felt at that time they were uh, they were solid leaders, and I trusted my team. And so I said, you know what? Even though the bylaws allow me to do that, I don't think that's actually good bylaws. I didn't write them, you know. And so I said, I'm going to go with the team's vote. I'm not going to use my supermajority. And so those are some of the things that I've learned: is is that you can, as a leader, make the decision. You can wow. make those hardcore, you know, decisions, and sometimes you have to make those. But it's yeah. also learning to be uh, secure enough as a leader to trust your team, and even though it may not fit where you're thinking exactly i'm not talking about major major shifts you know but and i think that's what i've seen in duncan's leadership is he's allowed us to make mistakes along the way and make decisions even though he could have come in with his super majority in because i've been walking with duncan for 13 years i'm on the board here of all the local charities and so i've seen him not often come in with the super majority but allow his team to coalesce and i think working together it's kind of like abraham lincoln back in the day he had people on his cabinet that were polar opposites because he wanted to you know, come up with the best decisions. So those are a couple of things that come to mind.
0: No, those are so good. I want to get back to the delegation versus development question, but let's stay here on the, uh, the team dynamic for a minute because You know, as I look at Scripture, you know, the the analogy or the metaphor of the body, where the body of Christ, different members functioning together, you see this diversity and unity. In fact, one of my favorite Scriptures is uh, Ephesians 3.10 that says, Now unto principalities and powers might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted, or the word actually means multicolored, So you get all these various giftings in the same room, on the same team, sharing a common vision, but bringing a different vantage point to that, you know, so that this person might be more pastoral in their perspective. Another person might be more of a teacher or prophetic in their perspective, but they're bringing this uh, diverse set of uh, perspectives to a common outcome. Talk about diversity and unity together. What what have you learned about that? You know, as you take this kind of team idea a little bit further.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with more diversity of, of skills than diversity of, of cultures and all that other, you know, that's important. But as it relates to this question, it's, it's the team is coming together. And in, in, in that sense is, um, you need to honor the gifting and the anointing the other person. The problem is, is like you like in others what you see in yourself. Right. And so it's like if you want a certain answer, most people say advice is just going to someone that's going to give you a decision you've already made. Right. You go to them to get the results that you want to do. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think it's honoring the different we call it the fivefold different giftings. You honor that and and you appreciate that it's different facets of Jesus. If we don't have uh, the, 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 the accountants. And if you don't have the people that turn on the lights, if you don't have it's, and even if we look at behaviors or personalities is if you're not honoring that you're not honoring a certain facet of Jesus, Mm. you can, you can have empathy for people that may not even completely agree with you or you agree with them, but you can empathize their position. That doesn't mean I agree with you. And so I think what we need to do, and this is more culturally, is that we've gotten to the place of like, my opinion is the gospel and whatever you say, if it disagrees with me is wrong. And <laughs> I think if we come to a place where we can have more unoffendable dialogue, and that yeah. also means in the team, that means when, yeah. when, when the pastor comes in and says, you know, the pastoral gifting leading person is like i'm not sure we're caring for the flock as much as we could and the apostle's like we got to go out and the evangelist is like and all of a sudden you have this 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 mess right right and so it's honoring each other's calling and gifting and realizing that together we demonstrate the more full picture of the facets of jesus christ
0: that's so good no that's super helpful because i know that this is where most of us struggle you know we Either we have the autocrat leader that's sort of, you know, pulling rank and saying, we're going to go in this direction, or we have, you know, the, sometimes I think we can almost get down where we just sort of neutralize and go to the least common denominator. But having a dynamic team that really knows how to achieve outcomes together is not that common. And uh, I think we need to learn how to build those, you know, and I, I think of it like a team with a captain. That, yeah, but to have you in that situation, like the story you told, where you chose not to uh, exercise your authority as the captain, but allow the team to actually uh, produce a, in a sense, unanimity, a, a unanimous decision that really reflected all the perspectives together, I think that's awesome. Okay, I don't know. Um, let's 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 move to that final point, which is the issue of delegation versus development, and I see this across the church as a whole, most pastors kind of, even though they would say, I love team and I love to have you on my team and I love, you know, I I want you to be everything that God's called you to be. Ultimately, I think when you get down to it, most pastors that I've worked with over the years approach ministry like this. They say, I have a powerful vision and God brought all of you here to help me fulfill my vision. (laughs) (laughs) That's And so you become essentially, you know, every member of the church becomes a utility to serve the pastor's vision. Now, that's one side of the equation, but the other side of it is, is that every individual has a destiny. Every individual has an important purpose. And our role as leaders is to create that incubator for each person's destiny to come into fruition. Okay, but that takes a commitment, not just to delegation. Which is, hey, here's a job. Here's a broom. Sweep the floor. Here's here's some chairs. Stack them up. Or here's a curriculum. Teach our children's church, um, which I know we can all do that. And and in fact, it's an important part of the leadership equation. But how are we developing people? And and so you said you learned that lesson. Talk a little bit more about that. You know that you came in kind of you know giving roles and responsibilities <coughs> away, but not necessarily caring about the development of each person initially. How did you shift? And what did that look like ultimately? For me,
1: um, I came in as as less, I mean, obviously I have emotions and I'm a less emotive, but when you're an attorney, especially a trial attorney, when your case is dead or injured, when you get it, right, you can't, you want to lean across and pray for the people, but that's not your job. So you kind of compartmentalize a little bit. And so I came in with a job to do to take care of these things. And so really, it was somewhere in between my first and second intern that it was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it for 50 people. But if I could practice with one, if I could take enough time to really develop her and ask the questions like, what is it that you see long term for your life? Because I can find this portfolio of stuff to do to then drive in opportunities. Yeah, there's still stuff we have to get done. That, that's just reality. Right. But are there things that you have giftings, that you have passions, you have calls? And so she was she was prophetic. And so we did it, you know, um, and was going through our ministry school at the time uh, here um, in Raleigh. And so we were out at a conference in, in uh, Dallas and we had done uh, sh- we had uh, partnered with our catch fire church out there. We had, I don't remember the speaker this year. So she had never really been outside of the school, never really been on stage. She was doing all the behind the scenes stuff, but I knew she was prophetic. And sometimes my style is to throw you in the deep end. And then if you need a life preserver, I'll come and help you. And yeah. so, so we were out there and, and I said, all right, you have a prophetic word. Let's go. And I brought her up on stage. And we just went for it. But she went for it and she prayed for the worship leader who went down in the spirit, who had a baby up in the green room, spent two hours under the presence of God. The other worship leader looks at me and is like, that's my next song.
0: Wow.
1: And so so we took a risk of faith. And that started the journey of like, is it do you want ministry? Do you want marketplace? Do you want? But we took those opportunities. And through that, we took an interest in her Uh, what she was. And now she's in the marketplace. She's got a passion to go do. uh, She worked for several years, but now she's doing, you know, web stuff and and coffee. So she, she, she learned the skills here because we redid the websites and all that stuff that she then transferred. And through that process of caring for her more than I cared for the product and Mm. caring for where she wants to go. Simon Sinek has a book, find your why, you know, what are the things that give you life? What are the things that bring you life? And so through that process, I learned, well mostly because other leaders around me like jt you just can't give them a to-do list you know so take the time so i guess the takeaway is most people don't do it because it's inconvenient and it takes time and that's part of being a leader is sacrifice right. sometimes you have to sacrifice self for the good of the team in the organization that's but that's so my true. heart sort of in it in, yeah. the least in the ministry context i've done it in other organizations but this was different for me
0: yeah i mean i know that early on you know people used to say of me as the pastor, you know, Michael loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and yep. you know, and I saw where everybody fit and how they could all serve together, like, you know, some kind of team and that's awesome. But it was actually about midway where I shifted and I just said, you know what, actually, I don't think I'm getting the most out of people. So it was kind of motivated by my desire to utilize people. I realize that if I'm not sowing into them, if I'm not actually building them as a person, I'm getting whatever benefit they can bring at this level of development. But if I emphasize development above delegation, I can actually produce a greater yield for the kingdom long term by sowing in. In other words, you say, well, but that takes a lot of time. Yeah, but the time is worth it because the end harvest of that person's life is going to be much greater for the glory of God than if I just kind of keep them in a you know, at a certain level of development and exploit them for all they're worth at that level. And so, again, for me, it was a, it was just, you know, we actually uh, coined a phrase where, you know, if the if de- if de- delegation is above development, you're actually, it's a form of spiritual abuse. Mm. You need to shift like a family. I mean, I, you know, I have seven kids and, you know, developing them was more important than whether they did the dishes or not. Now, doing the dishes was part of the development process, but it served development rather than development serving the dishes. You know what yeah. I mean? And so anyway, well, we're going to wrap up in just a second, but I'd love to hear any final words you have. You know, just what would you say to leaders who are listening right now? Just a little you know, tool you could put in their hand to be more effective in whatever sphere they're in, whether they're ministering in the church or ministering in the marketplace. Give us That's a, a tour. good
1: question. I, I think right now in the consulting world, what we're seeing a lot of is EQ. EQ is 80% of success versus IQ at 20%. So we're teaching more of the soft skills, social, emotional intelligence. Harvard, Mm. the Harvard uh, school won't let you in unless you have empathy, perspective, taking rapport and cooperation. So I think what we need to now is the ministry. Yes, you're empathetic. Yes, but can you have social, emotional awareness of those around you and yourself? Because I think that's what we're starting to see. And in the the business world, those that rank high on social, emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. make $29,000 more. So the soft skills matter. You know, we, for the state of Michigan has hired, got a grant because the construction industry was the number two suicide place of all. The week we rolled out the soft skills, one of their drivers committed suicide. And so like the soft skills matter in the marketplace because sometimes we're about the bottom line, the dollars, but if you can get and grow. And so my thrust to you, my suggestion is just try to find how to grow your social emotional intelligence and your team's social emotional intelligence, because it makes a better work environment, which will ultimately lead to better return on
0: investment. Wow, that is so so good. No, I mean, well, actually, I I said this thing to somebody who is um, an upper level leader uh, in business in our church. I just said, wow, come and work with us and lead a home group for two years. You'll be a better CEO. Yes. Then if you just skirted it kind of went after your marketplace ministry but never partook of the tools that we have in the church to actually grow that eq to actually help you in other words there's things that we can provide for a marketplace leader within the church that will actually enhance their long-term effectiveness as marketplace leaders. Now I don't want to hold on to you forever, but during a developmental season, if I could have you learn how to lead a small group and learn how to resolve conflict with people and learn how to guide people into a greater spiritual sort of depth, um, that you will not regret that five years from now when you're leading a company. Because leading without
1: a title, Michael, that's what it is. Yes, if you can lead without a title. You don't need the title, but people will follow you.
0: Absolutely. Such a good word. Well, why don't you pray for us? Yes. Um, Pray a prayer of impartation for everyone listening to this, and we'll wrap it up.
1: Father, we just thank you so much for this group of uh, fiery leaders, Lord. Uh, whether that's in the marketplace or in the ministry, Lord, we just pray, like right now, that you just crash on in on them and that you give them heavenly blueprints for their next decisions, for their next call, Lord. That you give them wisdom on how we're going to continue to advance the kingdom of God for your glory, not our glory, Lord. Will you give them more and more revelations of how the next season looks as we start to transition from the pandemic, that we start to transition into what's next, Lord? Will you give us wisdom on market? place solutions and ministry solutions that we can go to a hurting world right now with solutions in value lord will you download those supernatural blueprints to us right now and give us wisdom on how to implement them in jesus mighty name amen
0: amen well that's so good what a rich rich session and i hope to have you on in the future to add more to what you just said but um Honestly, for everybody listening, I want to invite you to join leadersalliance.org, you know, and uh, you can go on our site. There's some free training that's there, but also consider becoming a member. And and if you're a marketplace person, actually, JT is going to be one of your coaches, one of the main people guiding you into your development. And so, you know, I'm super thankful for you coming on this uh, this, uh, podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, may God bless all of you who are listening to this into the future. Amen.
1: Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone.